Welcome to the Flint Catholic Podcast. I'm Father Tony Smila. And I'm Michael Hasso. And welcome to the spooktacular Halloween episodes of the Flint Catholic Podcast. So we're right before Halloween, so we thought we'd take these next two podcasts and talk about the four last things. And so we're looking at the end of our lives and what eternity is like and these big questions of what happens after death. And we're going to tackle them, see what scripture has to say about it, what tradition has to say about it. And so um, quick question though, I said the four last things. So what are the four last things? So we have heaven, hell, death, and judgment. That's right. Those are the four last things. So we're going to try and tackle them in the order in which we would we might experience them. So for this episode, we're going to we're going to talk about death and judgment. And you know, that really makes a good spooktacular Halloween episode. Death and judgment and then in the next episode next week, we will tackle heaven and hell. So, let's just jump right into death. Jump right into death. The end of our lives and I think it's safe to say that we all fear death. Do you fear death? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do too. It's, it's, it's a natural human response. Even if we say, oh no, I'm ready for it. I think it's good. There's still some fear attached to it. And I think there's three reasons for this one. I mean, I think just the factual statement that we love our life, you know, there's something good about life and there's something not good about death. And, and I think that's, that's something that we all just deep within us understand I think the second reason is that death involves suffering. There's just no getting around it. Um, there's a separation of the body and the soul that happens. And because we see that as, as something that's unnatural, something that was never meant to be, there's some suffering attached to that. It's not really meant to be that way. And then the third reason is that, you know, we have all this revelation um, about what happens, but in the end, we really don't know what will happen to us after death. And that, that's in two senses. One, we don't know what it's like at all, and we don't really have any conception of what life after death is like. And two, we don't know personally what's going to happen to us. I mean, we may think we're on the right road and, you know, hey, we're, we're destined to heaven, but there's always that piece in the back of our mind that says, well, are we? Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's like, for me, that's like one of the big things is like, even though we know in like the overall sense, you know, as Christians, like we know that we're destined for heaven, but you know, in another sense, it's like, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Right. I don't know how that's going to play out in my life. I don't know if I'm going to, you know, be able to receive the sacraments before I die or or whatever. I mean, even St. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. Like St. Paul himself was like, I hope I'm saved. Yeah. And we're like, uh, I think you are. I think you're, you're pretty safe, but yeah. who's to say? You know, it's not our judgment, but God's judgment. So let's look at those those last two, um, maybe a little bit more in depth. Death involving suffering. So death involves the separation of the body and the soul. And now they were created to be in union with each other, right? God created us body and soul together. And it wasn't the original will of God to allow them to be separated in death. And the um, that was one of the consequences of, of sin in the Garden of Eden was that death is now a part of our reality. And we can sense that, right? When we go to funerals, they are, um, they're sad. There's a mourning that takes place there. And that's, that's a natural thing. That's because we recognize that death is not natural. Death was not part of the plan. Death is a suffering for not just the person who died, but for all of us who are left. There's a lot of 
tremendous suffering involved in that. Yeah. And I think it takes a little bit of like, you know, renewal of the mind in one sense, because I, I feel like there's probably a lot of uh, listeners who are hearing this and they're like, what do you mean? That's not like, you know, the way it was intended to be. Cause I see it all the time, Yeah, you know, especially in 2020. Right. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it almost seems ridiculous in one sense to like look around at the world today and say like, that's not the way it was intended to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, the consequence of sin is death and yeah. certainly we're seeing a lot of that as well, sin and death in this world today. And yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Something I found um, very interesting was uh, um, in one of his epistles to St. Augustine, St. Cyril, the Bishop of Jerusalem, relates what was told to him by a man who had been raised from the dead. Now, this is kind of cool, right? So we, we, have, we hear about these every once in a while, somebody who, who you know, maybe had a near-death experience, and they come back and they tell us about it. And sometimes they tell us about the glories of heaven. Sometimes they tell us about something else, and it's not so great. Um, but here... Um, he's not even talking about heaven and hell. He's just talking about that moment of death and what that's like. So he says, amongst other things, he said, the moment when my soul left my body was one of such awful pain and distress that no one can imagine the anguish that I endured. If all conceivable suffering and pain were put together, they would be as nothing in comparison with the torture I underwent at the separation of soul and body. And to emphasize his words, he added, addressing St. Cyril, you know that you have a soul, but you know not what it is. You know that beings exist called angels, but you are ignorant of their nature. You know also that there is a God, but you cannot comprehend his being. So it is with everything that is not corporeal shape. Our understanding cannot grasp these things. In like manner, it is impossible for you to understand how I could suffer such intense agony in one short moment. And if pe some people apparently pass away most peacefully, this is because nature, exhausted by suffering, has no longer the force to struggle with death. Oof, those are some strong words there. Yeah. That doesn't sound pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah. So I don't want to, you know, just straight up frighten everybody here, right? It is a spooktacular episode, right? But that's not the intent of, of talking about this. We do need to talk about this. We need to face the reality of, of what death is. But we can't ever do it alone, right? It's not the point to do this alone. And that's precisely why Jesus came to earth in the form of human. That's why he took on human flesh to do this so that we wouldn't have to do either life or death alone. And it would make sense then that we would have some participation in the death of our Lord Jesus at the hour of our death as well. And, yeah. and again, we don't do it alone, right? This is why we pray to our Blessed Mother all the time, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, because we know we need that prayer at that time. Yeah, like one commentary I've heard on that, on the Hail Mary in particular, is that the significance of the end of that is like, though, that's because we as Christians believe that those are two of the holiest moments in our life. Yes. Because right now, we, right now in this moment, we have the opportunity to choose to follow Jesus. That's right. And then at our death, we make the eternal choice. Yeah. Yep. And we need all the help we can get. I know I do. Yeah, I'm sure all of us do. Yeah. We'll take it. So there's another piece that I think we should talk about here and that you know we we're talking we're going to talk about judgment in the next section, but there's a, a second judgment that happens here, which actually is the first judgment. And it's a 
particular judgment. So we've got the particular judgment and the universal judgment. Universal judgment is what we'll talk about in the second section, but this is here the particular judgment happens. So at our death is the first one, the particular judgment, and we are to give an account of what we have done and not done. So this is kind of like in the the common imagery, we're at the pearly gates. And are we going to be let in or not? And this is scary because no one can give an account to justify themselves before God. None of us can. We're all sinners. We're all in need of a savior. No, None of us on our own merits deserve to be saved. So what do we do? We cry out to the Lord. And we, we plead on the Lord's mercy. Steve Ray, um, so he's the guy who goes to the Holy Land all the time, right? You've probably heard of him. He did this he did the TV show, The Footprints of God. Um, I think that's on EWTN. Yeah. And um, he tells this great, um, this great story, and I, I kind of want to share it here. So this guy dies, and he's at the pearly gates. And um, St. Peter's standing there, and he says, all right, um, the deal is simple. We go through your life, and if you get 500 points, you're into heaven. All you got to do is get 500 points. And this guy goes... I got this. You know, I did a lot of good in my life. I got this. No problem. So he starts and he says, you know, I, uh, I started this charity, um, when I was 18 years old and, you know, we did a lot of good things for a lot of good people, um, over the course of its 10 year run. St. Peter looks at him and goes, Oh, that's pretty good. Two points. And the guy goes, "Uh Oh, wait, wait, that was only worth two points. Okay. No, no worries. I still, I think, I think I still got this. All right. So, um, Later in life, I devoted myself to serving the poor and, you know, really gave a lot of, of what I earned to the poor and, and went out in the streets and, and helped people. St. Peter goes, well, oh, that's pretty good too. Two points. Now the guy's starting to sweat. He's like, what, what is going on? Um, I'm never going to get to 500 points. All right. So he, so he pulls himself back, collects himself and he says, all right, well, I still got one more trick in, trick in my bag here. So he goes up to uh, St. Peter. He says, all right, when I died, I gave everything that I had earned to the poor. I left in my will, gave it all to the poor. St. Peter says, that's pretty good too. There's an extra point. You've got five points. Great. Um, and so this guy, like, he's like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. Jesus, save me. 500 points you're in. <laughs> right? I love that story. It's such a great love story. That story. And and it's, you know, the truth of it is we can't save ourselves and we need to let Jesus save us. So all this fear surrounding our death, I mean there's there's a healthy amount of fear to have, right? A healthy amount of fear is this this is something that we don't quite understand. It's something that um is is outside our ability to understand. And yet we're told by Jesus, just trust in him, follow him, and you'll be fine. That's why Jesus came. That's why he lived. That's why he went through death. He, he didn't have to die. You know, he wasn't bound by sin. He didn't have to die, but he chose to die so that we could follow him through that death and rise with him as he promised. Yeah. And something that I was just thinking about that I think is so powerful when thinking about death is to realize that if you're a baptized Christian, you've already died. Yeah, that's true. You've already died. So St. Paul says that if you've been baptized into Christ, you've also died with him yep. and already rose with him. Yeah, the plunging into the baptismal waters is um, like Jesus going into the tomb. 
And then when we rise up out of the baptismal waters, we rise up to new life. Yeah. And so hopefully this gets across the point that death, although there is like a lot of uncertainty around it, although um, there's every like human reason to fear, hopefully you see that death for a Christian isn't something to fear. If anything, it's something to be trampled on, as St. Athanasius would say. Very nice. The St. Luke New Life Center virtual Oktoberfest fundraiser will be held from October 10th to the 25th To support their job training, social enterprise, literacy, food pantry, and other programs, please participate in the Oktoberfest auction and impact giving campaigns. To find out how to participate, go to slnlc.betterworld.org. Again, that's slnlc.betterworld.org. For more information about the center, visit stlukenewlife.com, S-T-L-U-K-E, newlife.com. And if you have any questions, contact Lisa Hirsch at lisahirsch38 at gmail.com. That's L-I-S-A-H-I-R-S-C-H-3-8 at gmail.com. Thank you for your support. If you know any announcements that your parish has that should be set on this podcast, please let us know. You can email Father Tony at fathertonysmila at flintcatholic.org. That's F-R-T-O-N-Y-S-M-E-L-A at flintcatholic.org. And please don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and share this podcast with others. All right, so now we're moving on to our second segment, and that is on judgment. So we talked about the particular judgment, now we're talking about the universal judgment. Yep, every Christian's favorite word, I think, judgment. I, I think so, yeah. yeah. We, we, we're good at that. And probably little did you know, there's not even just one judgment. There's two. Two judgments. Yep. So we talked about the first one. Now we're moving on to the second one. This one is the universal judgment. So the event that will start this whole thing off is the second coming of Jesus Christ, which will be um, quite the moment from what it's described as. So for those who are righteous and been waiting anxiously for, for the second for the coming of Jesus, it's going to be a pretty glorious moment. God's going to be there in the heavens. Probably there's going to be like fireworks and pyrotechnics and everything. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to be like, yes, there's Jesus. And for those who um, don't follow Jesus, it's going to be a terrifying moment. Yeah. Going to be a terrifying moment. First time Jesus came humbly as a child. He didn't really announce himself. Second time, there will be no questioning his divinity and power. And really to, to start off, um, we should turn to Isaiah, and Isaiah, who certainly had the the most concentration of, of messianic prophecy, of course, is going to talk about Jesus here as well. And so God, in, in Isaiah 45, God is freeing his people from the Babylonian captivity, and he says, Turn to me and be safe, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. By myself I swear, uttering my just decree, a word that will not return. To me every knee shall bend, by me every tongue shall swear. And it's in this prophecy right here. So God is showing his power and his might to the Babylonians and really to the world. And that's, you know, he makes that prophecy. Everyone's going to acknowledge me as God. Paul takes that and quotes it and takes it a step further that that's what's going to happen at the end of time. 
And he says in Philippians, Because of this God greatly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus returns, every knee will bend, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be no questioning it, whether you anxiously and, and, and are really ready to receive him or are not ready to receive him, no matter what. There's no doubting his divinity at that point. And then the next part is probably my favorite part and my favorite to really think about. Um, this is such a I know it's an interesting moment where we'll have the resurrection of the dead. And we talk about that at the end of the creed, right? Uh, the resurrection of the dead. But what do we mean by the resurrection of the dead? Sure, right? When we die, we'll be raised on the last day. That's what we believe. But what does that actually look like? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. And I'll say I've I've talked about this a number of times, a number of times with college students. And I'll say every time I talk about this with them, that this is always the part that like really kind of like captures their attention. Right. Because we don't we don't really talk about it a lot. I no. mean, you know, you can you rarely hear this stuff, um, you know, in a homily setting. You right. Know. Yeah. I think a lot of people think that, you know, when we die, we'll go to heaven and that's what it's going to be like for eternity. Yeah. But it's not. That's not the yeah. end. So at the resurrection of the dead, our bodies and our souls will be reunited. And that makes sense. Right. We said that death the separation of the body and the soul was an unnatural thing. It wasn't meant to be that way. And so, of course, it makes sense that that wouldn't be like that forever. Then our bodies and our souls will be reunited. And so we, we're given our, our bodies back, which that's kind of the moment I'm kind of looking forward to see. Is it like going to be a bunch of people who's like like zombies? Their arms will stick out from the ground and then they'll, they'll pull themselves out of the ground and, and then their bodies will be reformed? Probably not. Um, yeah. It'll probably still be quite epic, though. Um, and that's what I'm really, I'm like, how is God going to do that? The resurrection of our bodies, but you know, from all people, all times, all places, right? Everybody will be having their body back. So certainly even the people whose body has decayed, you know, you know, thousands of years now, they'll have their bodies back. Yeah. And that'll be, that'll be super cool. Um, I have to say that, you know, that'd be like so cool to like see or to like capture on video right, or something like right. that. Like how, how will that happen? That's, and that's something I love to think about and just speculate in my own brain about. So yeah. you're getting a little insight into what I think about when I'm all alone by myself sometimes. But I think about what is that moment going to be like when we get our bodies back and, and we're not even going to get just like our normal bodies back. Right. But we'll get our glorified bodies back like they'll be perfected yeah. they won't yeah. have that stain of sin on them my ankle is not going to hurt anymore yeah um, and you won't need to wear those glasses either oh that'll be great can't yeah. wait for that yeah you'll you'll get to save on those prescription eyeglasses yes. and yeah, yeah all sorts that. of perks there's there's know. some good perks now as an aside this is one of the reasons why the catholic church discourages cremation and i and i want to say this too because um when we when we do funerals funerals are important they matter and I think it matters even more to have the body there at the funeral, to have the body there. And it, there's a lot of reasons for that. One, um, for very practical reasons, it, it helps bring closure to the family. And if, to see that loved one one last time, it matters to see that. Um, and as someone who's done lots of funerals and lots of, you know, um, full ca- open caskets, lots of cremations, 
I, I certainly think it's better when there's an open casket there and they're able to to really say goodbye to the person in that way. But then in the theological sense too, it matters because we believe that we will have our bodies back. So it doesn't make sense then to, to cremate the body. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to that. It makes more sense to just bury the body because we believe that one day we will have our bodies back. And so we're making a theological statement when we say we're not going to cremate the body. We're going to going to bury the body in, in, in its respectful form. Yeah. And I've actually had that question a few times from people of like, you know, well, why is the church, you know, supposedly like changed its stance on sure. this? And the important thing to remember is that in reality, it hasn't changed right. its stance. Correct. It's been a it's been a constant teaching throughout the history Correct. of the church. But what has changed is that it was specifically banned because people were making this theological statement right. about the resurrection of the dead. They were they were basically there was a period in the church where where people were doing cremation to sort of like spite the resurrection of the dead and Correct. say this isn't real. And so that's why it's more, you know, it's more of like a discouragement now. Right. Because it's not, it's no longer that, you People know, are doing it for that statement. reason. Yeah. yeah. They're not doing it to spite yeah. the church. Yeah. Not many people are making a no. theological statement at their funeral anymore. <laughs> correct. That is correct. So. Yep. So that was just an aside, but I, I felt like I wanted to say that. Yeah. Um, so once the resurrection of the dead happens we all have our bodies back then we turn to matthew chapter 25 and jesus talks about this um this judgment and what that looks like so he says when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be assembled before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of these least brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink a stranger, and you gave me no welcome, naked, and you gave me no clothing, ill and in prison, and you did not care for me. Then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison and not minister to your needs? He will answer them, Amen, I say to you, what you did not do for one of these least ones, you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So you've got the the particular judgment, which is us personally. Are we one of the goats or are we one of the sheep? Yeah. And then at the universal um, judgment, the goats go off to their eternal punishment and the sheep go and inherit the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Yeah. 
And notice the things that separate them. It's being giving food to the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick, visiting those imprisoned. In a sense, it's getting out of ourselves. And it's giving our life over to others, giving our life to the Lord. That's what does it. That's what saves yeah. us. And I think this this passage is particularly challenging if you're living anywhere in the Flint area. Mm. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I'm driving down the streets of Flint and I pass by a homeless person, that is that's not something that we should take lightly. Correct. We have lots of opportunities to do all yeah. of these things all the time. Yeah. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you always need to give money. Right. Uh, you know, again, right. especially around here, it's like that wouldn't even be possible. Like sure. you, would, you wouldn't even be able to get to work, you know, right. probably. <laughs> the, I mean, the idea is to listen to the promptings of the Spirit. When is the Spirit prompting us to? Yeah. And, and what in particular is the Spirit prompting us to do? Yeah. And in, in the end, you know, especially with, with all the opportunities we have, building a relationship is huge in a lot of that. So it's not just, you know, making them seem anonymous. They're not like, hey, what's your name? Hey, let's pray. Hey, let's let's spend you know a little bit of time together. I've got five minutes. How about I get you a coffee? Yeah, something like that. Doesn't always have to be just giving them money, but making it more personal, treating them with the dignity that they deserve to be treated with. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where this is from, but I heard a or I read rather a a commentary of John Paul II on this passage. And he talks about um, the word mercy. In Latin, I believe it's misericordiae. Misericordiae. Very good. And one of the things that he points out when talking about mercy is that mercy is about a lot more than money. Almsgiving. Like when, when when Scripture talks about almsgiving, it's talking about not just giving money, it's talking about giving mercy. Yes. And so uh, that should include money, but it shouldn't be only money. Yeah. And so like Father Tony was saying, like one of the one of the most important things that we could do that can never be underestimated is just like learning their name. Yeah. Saying hi to them. Like, you know, I this happens like all the time in Flint, but you know, I'll come up to particular stoplights where people are often asking for money and, you know, I'm, I'm not always like close enough where I can open the window to talk to them or, you know, I, I can't always give them money or anything like that, but sometimes I'll just like look at them, you know, I, I just won't avoid eye contact and, and pretend like they're not there. Right. And even that is like, you know, maybe you're maybe you're scared to approach, you know, a stranger, um, which, you know, we're not recommending you should do that alone or, right, or anything like that. Of course, be safe. But, you know, it can start there where it's yep. just like making eye contact with a person. Yep. Maybe if you're nearby, rolling down your window and just saying, hi, what can I pray for you today? That's right. Yeah, it's recognizing them as a human being. And we need more of that in our world today. Yeah. Definitely. So then that's 
the um, the universal judgment. And so what I want to end this episode with is by reading the last two chapters of Revelation. And because what um, what the universal judgment will then lead to is a new heavens and a new earth. And there's no better way to describe it than the way Scripture describes it. Revelation's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Maybe one day we'll do just a breakdown of the book of Revelation, why I love it so much. Um, so good if you understand it the way it's meant to be understood. Um, so I'm going to read the last two chapters of Revelation, and they're not short, but they're worth reading and, and just taking in the descriptions of everything. So we're, we're given a description of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, and what that's like. And, and also just understanding that they're trying to describe something that's indescribable. And so they're doing the best they can, um, but even that, we can tell that just kind of falls short. So the last two chapters of Revelation are, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The former heaven and the former earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, God's dwelling is with the human race. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will always be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain, for the old order has passed away. The one who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Then he said, Write these words down, for they are trustworthy and true. He said to me, They are accomplished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give a gift from the spring of life-giving water. The victor will inherit these gifts, and I shall be his God, and he will be my son. But as for cowards, the unfaithful, the depraved, murderers, the unchaste, sorcerers, idol worshippers, and deceivers of every sort, their lot is in the burning pool of fire and sulfur, which is the second death. One of the seven angels who held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He took me in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It gleamed with the splendor of God. Its radiance was like that of a precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a massive high wall with twelve gates where twelve angels were stationed and on which names were inscribed, the names of the twelve tribes of the Israelites. There were three gates facing east, three north, three south, and three west. The wall of the city had twelve courses of stones as its foundation, on which were inscribed the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The one who spoke to me held a, golden, a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city was square, with its length the same also its width. He measured the city with the rod and found it fifteen hundred miles in length and width and height. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the standard unit of measurement the angel used. The wall const was constructed of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city were decorated with every precious stone. The first course of the stones was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald. The fifth sardonyx, sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoparse, the
the 11th hyacinth, and the 12th amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made from a single pearl, and the street of the city was of pure gold, transparent as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gave it light, and its lamp was the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and to it the kings of the earth will bring their treasure. During the day its gates will never be shut, there will be no night there. Treasure and wealth of the nations will be brought there, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does abominable things or tells lies. Only those will enter whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of life-giving water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of its street. On either side of the river grew the tree of life, that produces fruit twelve times a year, once each month. The leaves of the tree serve as medicine for the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there any more. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will look upon his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, nor will they need light from lamp or sun. For the Lord God shall give them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of prophetic spirits, sent his angel to show his servants what must happen soon. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the prophetic message of this book. It is I, John, who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, Don't. I am a fellow servant of yours, and of your brothers, the prophets, and of those who keep the message of this book. Worship God. Then he said to me, Do not seal up the prophetic words of this book, for the appointed time is near. Let the wicked still act wickedly, as the filthy still be filthy. The righteous must still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. I bring with me the recompense I will give each according to his deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are they who wash their robes so as to have the right to the tree of life and enter the city through its gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the unchaste, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who love and practice deceit. I, Jesus, sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, let, it, let the hearer say, Come. Let the one who thirsts come forward, and the one who wants it receive the gift of life-giving water. I warn everyone who hears the prophetic words in this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add him to the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words in this prophetic book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city described in this book. The one who gives this testimony says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Thank you.